0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire, and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Dr. Dylan Selterman, who is a senior lecturer in the Department of Psychology at the University of Maryland. In the previous episode, we talked all about Dylan's research on cheating and infidelity. And in this episode, we're going to dive into a different line of research that Dylan has done, which focuses on dreaming. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I love to talk about sexual fantasies and that I spend a lot of time studying people's sexual thoughts. However, my work is mainly focused on the thoughts that people have about sex and relationships while they're awake. But what about the sexy things that cross our minds while we're sleeping? As someone who is personally a very vivid dreamer, every single night i am fascinated by the topic of dreams where do they come from how do they influence our behavior including what we do in our romantic relationships and everyday life also what do our dreams including our sex dreams actually mean and what if anything do they tell us these are some of the topics that we're going to be exploring today and i absolutely cannot wait so let's get right to it hi dylan and welcome to the sex and psychology podcast
1: great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me again. You have the great distinction of being my very first repeat guest. So I'm thrilled to have you back.
1: Awesome. Love it.
0: Now, I normally start my interviews with a question about your professional journey, but we already covered that in the last episode. So let me ask you a different question. Why did you get into studying dreams? Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I've always been fascinated by dreams just like you. Ever since I was a kid, I remember having vivid dreams and I just had this strong desire to understand what dreams are all about. My favorite film of all time is a film called Waking Life by Richard Linklater. He's the filmmaker who did other films like Before Sunrise and Dazed and Confused and Boyhood. And Waking Life really had a profound impact on me and it, in a way kind of inspired this line of research into the study of dreams. So I think that's a, a big reason why we're here having this conversation now is because of my lifelong interest in this topic. And I have to say also, there aren't very many dream researchers. There's very, very few in America and most of the dream research exists within the realm of either neuroscience or medicine or cognitive psychology and uh, biology. So there's very few people in our field in psychology who are studying dreams. It's always nice to see a professional colleague who has an interest in dreams as I do.
0: When you talked about a movie that kind of help to inspire your interest i totally thought you were going to say inception for a second (laughs) but i have not seen the waking life movie that you mentioned so i'm definitely going to have to check that out because it sounds really fascinating before we move on though i want to ask why do you think it is that there aren't that many people who study dreams is it because it's just really hard to do or is it because it's not taken super seriously and i know that you know there's lots of people who are really skeptical about things like dream interpretation and so forth and you know i have a healthy dose of skepticism about that myself but <laughs> what do you think is going on there
1: i think it's a mix of both i think it is a difficult topic to study especially because it's not very conducive to laboratory experimentation which is kind of a favorite type of methodology in our field the best way to study DREAMS is with diaries, and that's very cumbersome. It involves lots and lots of slow data collection. I've been running a study on DREAMS over the past year, and in over 12 months, I have less than 200 participants who have completed my study. So it it can be difficult if you're using the, the right methods to collect a lot of data, And with regards to the politics, I think there's something there too, because in the wake of Freudian psychoanalysis, the study of dreams really went out of fashion. It, I think, is seen by many as just an unscientific field of research, which of course isn't true. We have lots of good science about dreams, but I think that is still the stereotype. And I think this is one of the areas where freud has had a a negative impact on the scientific culture in some ways his impact has been very positive in terms of setting the course for people to study scientifically study the mind but in terms of dreams i think we're still kind of in freud's shadow unfortunately
0: yeah so freud screwed us again thanks so as you said we can study dreams scientifically so just as a very general starter question, what have we learned in terms of why do we dream in the first place? Do you have any sense as to, to what the purpose of dreaming is? I know that there are different theories and ideas about this, and you know a lot has been said and written, but what's your kind of take on that?
1: There are a number of theories, as you mentioned, and some of them specifically involve a continuity between our waking lives and our dreams. So the continuity hypothesis suggests that things that we dream about at night are basically the same things as we experience while we're awake, with some exceptions. But generally speaking, the percentage of dreams that we have about specific things maps onto the frequency that we do those kinds of activities in our lives. So thinking about sex, for example, the theme of your podcast, we tend to have sex in our dreams at about the same frequency as we have sex while we're awake. And we also engage in other types of activities more frequently while we're awake. So talking to other people, doing work, socializing, going grocery shopping. And those percentages, those frequencies in terms of dreams, they appear when we ask people to actually think about recording their dreams and then record them over like a week or two, because then their memory for dreams will be better. We tend to overestimate the likelihood of very bizarre or random things appearing in our dreams. And that's because Those things tend to stand out in our minds and we forget the other stuff because they're so bizarre. So we dream in part as just a reflection of the things that we're experiencing while we're awake. That being said, there's other theories that I think are worth noting, one being the social bonding theory of dreams, which became the basis for some of my research on attachment theory. This is the notion that rapid eye movement, sleep and dreams specifically evolved In mammals to promote social bonds. And we see all these kinds of correlations, for example, between insecure attachment and poor sleep quality in humans and in non human animals like rats. And we also see people frequently dreaming about their close others, their significant others, romantic partners, but also parents, children, friends. And sometimes those dreams are. A way to enhance and facilitate the relationships, but sometimes it can also be about negative concerns that people have about their relationships. So sometimes we dream about ex-partners too. In fact, some of Rosalind Cartwright's research has shown that people who dream about their former spouses are actually more mentally healthy than those who don't dream about their former spouses, even if those dreams are negative, because it's, it's, it's helping our minds to Come to some kind of closure or resolve those emotional difficulties we may have had in our past relationships, and of course, there's other non-social theories of dreaming that involve things like problem solving. There's some good empirical work by Bob Stickgold and his lab showing people do better on mazes and other kinds of cognitive tasks after they dream about them, and there's some laboratory research there too, which is really cool. So in terms of the main things that dreams do for us, there's a lot of evidence for theories that involve problem solving, that involve social bonds, that involve rehearsing what we might experience after we wake up and kind of preparing for those situations, as well as just the general continuity between waking and sleeping.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. And I think it's also worth noting that In our dreams, it might allow us to tap into a different source of creativity than we otherwise would not be able to tap into in everyday life. And so I've read some reports about how, say, Hollywood producers and writers, when they get to the point where they're having writer's block and they don't know the next direction to go to the story, they'll often turn to their dreams. For inspiration. And so I I think that's another way that dreams can potentially help us is because we can tap into that source of creativity that is otherwise maybe inaccessible to us in everyday life. Now, there's certainly a lot more that we have to learn about, you know, why we dream and, and all of that. But let's talk about your research. And you mentioned how people's attachment styles may affect their dream content. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and what do you think the causal direction is? Do you think that it's your attachment style, you know, say if you're an insecure person, does that influence the content of your dreams or does that just influence what you remember because it's more salient to you and more provocative in that way?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So in terms of the basic association, people who have more insecurities in their relationships. That is people who are more avoidant or more anxious ambivalent tend to have more negative emotional content in their dreams. They tend to, for example, have more anger or jealousy. They also tend to have more dreams of infidelity. They also tend to have less social support. So people who are more secure tend to feel in general, even just while they're awake, that other people love them and they're going to be there for them just in case you know. There's, there's some negative situation where they need a lot of support and they feel like, okay, I can count on these other people. Insecure people have less of that in their waking lives and they have less of that in their dreams too. There's more incidents of betrayal and a lack of social support in dreams for those who are more insecurely attached now to the question of the causal direction i mean there's no there's no experimental work here that involves manipulation of dream content or attachment styles there's an upper limit on what we can claim as for developmental processes, though, I mean, if we do have a lot of evidence that attachment styles are rooted in our early childhood experiences, and those are pretty stable over time, although there is some evidence that people can have different kinds of attachment to their significant others compared to the parents, there's a lot of continuity across time in terms of how people experience their attachment relationships. So if I had to bet, I would say probably it's the attachment styles that people have, their personality traits that influence the kinds of things they experience while they're in relationships and also the kinds of dreams that they have. That being said, we also have evidence that people can learn to overcome personal insecurities and feel more security in their dreams. I would love to know what role dreams have to play in that kind of earned security process. There's no research on that at all, but I would bet that when people start to feel more secure in their relationships over time, especially with a kind and empathetic and patient partner, that dreams would also become more positive. And perhaps there would be a kind of bi-directionality going on there where the feelings of security were promoting more positive dream content, and that was kind of reinforcing the security over time. But again, we don't have any studies on there. But if you're looking for a dissertation topic, grad (laughs) students, this has never been studied before. I recommend it.
0: I love that. I'm so curious to know the answer as well. So I think we also need some funder who's listening to please give us a lot of money so we can do that longitudinal study of dreaming and relationships and see whether or not, you know, there might be some therapeutic value to our dreams. So many interesting unanswered questions. Now, something else you've looked at in your research is, you know, what are the connections between dreams and waking behavior in relationships? And, you know, this is an issue that, you know, I've experienced in my own life, you know, I'll have dreams about my partner and maybe we have a fight or something in the dream. But sometimes there's like this residual feeling the next morning, like in my dream, we were fighting about something. And then like, I'm still kind of like angry about it the next day. (laughs) Now that, doesn't happen very often, but I know that it can happen. So can you tell us a little bit more about sort of that connection between dreams and then sort of carryover behavior while we're awake?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this this was actually part of my dissertation research. And we had a two-week daily diary study where participants reported on the kinds of things they were doing with their partners during the day and then also recording their dreams at night. And we asked them, did you have conflict with your partner during the day? Did you have you know, feelings of love and intimacy for them during the day? And then, of course, at night, we coded their dreams for instances of conflicts or arguing or betrayal or infidelity or things like that. And we did find an association. So in general, when people, especially when they're feeling more insecure or their relationship's not going well those kinds of dreams can have an effect on the next day. Uh, But even though it's a common occurrence, people, like like you said, you you tend to wake up from from your dream and there's a little bit of residual feelings there, we don't have any evidence that that's necessarily bad for the long-term health of the relationship. There was no association between those kinds of dreams and breakups, which again means there's other variables that are perhaps more important. There's also a chicken and an egg kind of thing going on. The other research we have that doesn't have to do with dreams, but just general conflict resolution shows that even the most satisfied couples have frequent conflicts, sometimes several every week. And it's really about the way that you communicate that's going to predict the long-term health of the relationship, not the presence of conflict itself. So sometimes people will wake up from a dream and feel that they're still angry or still disappointed at something their partner did while in the dream, but then that feeling might go away. The reason that we know that there's a dream to the next day association is because we controlled for, statistically controlled for the previous days, interactions with partners while they're awake. So there's some unique association here between the dream and the next day that is not explained by the previous day's amount of conflict or intimacy or anything like that.
0: Yeah, fascinating. So there is some carryover effect from what happens in our dreams to what's happening in our daily life and so it is sort of this bi-directional association where you know if you buy into the continuity hypothesis what's happening in waking life is being reflected in our dreams but then what is happening in our dreams can also affect how we approach things in waking life. So it, it I think just points to the fact that this is such an understudied area, so many important and interesting questions that remain to be answered, especially about, you know, the significance of dreams and what they mean, which I want to talk more about in just a moment. I also want to talk about sex dreams and lucid dreams, so we have much more to discuss. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Promescent has everything you need for amazing sex, including their signature delay spray which has been clinically shown to help men increase their stamina in the bedroom. It has target zone technology, which allows you to desensitize only the areas you want and customize it for your body. Check it out and see why it has thousands of five-star reviews. It's also recommended by more than 2,000 medical professionals. Promescent offers a number of other sexual wellness products, including their Vitaflux supplements, female arousal gel, and line of personal lubricants that come in water-based, silicon and organic varieties promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee on all orders and free shipping on orders over ten dollars also all orders come in discreet plain white bubble mailers to guarantee privacy learn more and place your order at promescent.com that's p-r-o-m-e-s-c-e-n-t.com and we're back my guest today is dr dylan selterman we're talking all about dreams. So Dylan, how many times a night do people usually dream? And can you tell us a little bit about the most common dream themes that you found in your work?
1: So in terms of the general frequency of dreams, people often report a, a about one to two vivid dreams per night. That is a coherent story that they can wake up and either write down or tell someone else, this is what I dreamt about. Probably people's dreams are they're they're dreaming a lot more frequently than that overnight. The issue is that when we wake up briefly and then go right back to sleep, we tend to forget about those dreams. And research in the lab has shown that when you wake people up at any point throughout the night, they very often report having a dream right then and there. So probably there's a lot more dreaming going on, but we're just not remembering a whole lot of it. And we also tend to see more story-like or movie-like dreams later in the sleep cycle. So towards the end of the night when you're about to wake up in the morning is when we tend to have a longer period of rapid eye movement sleep and also more vivid story-like dreams going along with it. So we tend to remember those dreams better if for no other reason than we're closer to waking up anyway than recalling them, perhaps writing them down if you keep a dream journal. And in terms of the themes that we see in people's dreams, most commonly people dream about the types of things and the types of people that they're interacting with or experiencing while they're awake. So we tend to dream about people that we know much more often than we dream about strangers. We tend to dream about the kinds of activities that we're engaging with when we're awake. So working or hobbies, if you're into playing music or sports, you'll probably dream about those things too. You'll probably dream about the people that you know and love. Even people that you haven't seen in a while but are still important to you, all those things are likely to appear in your dreams.
0: So let's talk about sex dreams for a moment. I've seen research finding that when you ask people to recall their dreams, They seem to remember about one in five of them being about sex in some way. And of course, you know, there there are some limitations, caveats with that. People don't remember all of the dreams that they've had. Maybe the sexual ones stand out more. So maybe people are overestimating how many dreams they have about sex, but also maybe they're underestimating them because they don't remember all the dreams that they've had. I've also seen some research finding that sex dreams are related to people's sleeping position, which I find to be super fascinating. And so specifically when people are sleeping on their stomach, they report having more sex dreams compared to people who sleep on their side or on their back. And the researchers theory for that was that when you're sleeping on your stomach, there's more pressure on the genital area and that gets transferred over into your dream content also for people who sleep on their stomach they report more dreams about being tied up and you know more dreams mm-hmm. with bondage themes in them and trouble breathing and so that might be because when you're sleeping on your stomach there's more pressure on the chest and so it's harder to breathe and so maybe that's getting transferred over into the dream content and also incidentally the stomach sleepers have more dreams about ufos and alien abductions so if you have a lot of dreams about being kidnapped tied up by aliens it might be because you're sleeping on your stomach so if you want less of those dreams try another position if you want more of those dreams try sleeping on your stomach more often So. I'm fascinated by sex dreams and I'm curious, are you familiar with any other research on them or have you done any other work on them that tell us more about our sex dreams?
1: Sure. So in my research, we coded dreams for sexual contents and found that when people had sex dreams, including their romantic partners, that was associated with either more feelings of love and intimacy for their partners after waking up or less love and intimacy for their partners after they wake up, depending on whether the relationship was going well. Now, I'm going to speculate a little bit here and suggest that perhaps that is a function of the quality of sex in the dream. Because if you're having sex and it's not all that good, you might not feel great about your relationship the next day and not feel that close with your partner. But if the sex was very good in your dream, then you might be feeling even even more connected And intimate with your partners. But again, we don't have any data on whether people's sex dreams are more or less satisfying and how that connects with their waking relationships. But anecdotally, looking at the dream reports themselves, there's wide variety in what people report. Sometimes people report feeling very strongly erotically engaged and very satisfied with the sex in their dreams. And sometimes people report feeling sexually frustrated in their dreams. So calling it sexual dreams and then saying, what is this about? Is it connected to these other variables? It's kind of like saying, well, when people are having sex while they're awake, what is that connected to? And there's so much variety in people's sexual experience that we can't really boil it down to just one thing. And the other thing that you'll appreciate about sex dreams is they tend to be connected to fantasies, but not in the way that you'd expect. And this is another area where we can kind of cross off one of these ancient Freudian theories about dreams as wish fulfillment. It's not the case that people who are engaging in sex less often are fantasizing or dreaming about it more. the correlation actually runs in the opposite direction. So the more sex people are having, the more sex dreams they have. So it's not a kind of forbidden wish fulfillment per se. It's just sexual activity while we're awake correlates with sexual activity while we're asleep.
0: So this is the why Freud was wrong episode. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've also seen some research finding that the content of the porn that people watch in Waking Life is also connected to the types of sex acts that appear in their dreams, which again supports that idea that there's some continuity, but not always. And you know, when you look at the sex acts that are reported in people's dreams, yes, as you mentioned, sometimes there is an overlap with fantasy or desire. You know, It might be something that turns you on in Waking Life, but sometimes we have sex-related dreams that disturb us because we wake up the next day And we look back on them and think that that's disgusting or something that we would never do or never want. And so I just think it's important to mention when we're talking about sex dreams, there's wide variability in what they are, and they don't necessarily overlap with what we are turned on by or what we want to do in waking life. So, again, that's an area where I think we need more research to better understand well, why do we dream about some things that we don't want to do or never have done, and where does that come from? So, Let's talk about lucid dreams for a minute. And basically, lucid dreams are dreams where you become aware that you're in a dream state. And if I can overshare for a moment, this is also going to be the oversharing episode in addition to the why Freud was wrong episode. But I'm someone who occasionally has lucid dreams. And when I have them, they often turn into sex dreams because why not? I can do whatever I want. And these experiences can be really intense and often much more so than simply having a fantasy in waking life. Because when you're conscious and having a fantasy, there's always some degree of divided attention because you've got other forms of sensory input coming in, and your attention can be divided and go elsewhere. But when you're in a lucid dream, it's like, wow, this really intense experience that feels like you're there because you can really focus your attention. So I'm curious, Dylan, what can you tell us about lucid dreaming? Is this something that comes up at all in your research or that you've read about?
1: Absolutely. So the research on lucid dreaming suggests that, again, there's kind of a continuity between what we're experiencing while we're awake and what we're experiencing while we're asleep. And there's actually mnemonic devices that people can use to trigger lucidity when they sleep. So it's easier to have lucid dreams if you're constantly reminding yourself while you're awake, huh, I might be dreaming right now, let's check on that and do these kind of reality checks, kind of the same ways you described in the film Inception, They have those kind of reality checks. And in other films as well, this is kind of a a staple of pop culture on dreams. So when people are training to lucid dream, they're basically trying to be more mindful. In fact, there's other research showing correlations between mindfulness meditation and lucid dreaming. And Buddhist monks will often refer to dreams as a kind of sleep yoga there's very strong connections between being more mindful about states of consciousness and having more lucid dreams. So it's tough for us in Western society that is so heavily dominated by a culture that is very anti-sleep, in my opinion. We're kind of weird when it comes to sleep. We don't like the idea that we need to sleep and we often procrastinate. And when it comes to bedtime, even adults, not just kids, we want to watch one more Netflix episode or uh, scroll through social media a bit more and we delay in our sleep. And that just means it's harder to find that kind of dream fulfillment while you're asleep. And I, I like to Describe this example because it's very American. Thomas Edison, when he was perfecting his inventions for the light bulb, he famously wanted to stop himself and others from sleeping. That was his goal. He thought that sleep was this very... Obsolete primitive activity, and he wanted to reduce sleeping as much as possible. So he invented artificial light in order to do that. And I would say he was actually pretty successful in that. So, we as a culture, you know, we we of course can say no to that. We can say, actually, we want to prioritize sleep more in our lives. We're going to make sure that our sleep is protected. We can set aside time for sleep during the day, not just at night, but we can have polyphasic sleep too. When we take care of our sleep, then we're more likely to have those types of really fun, lucid dream experiences that you're describing. And I think that it can be a source of fulfillment. A lot of people might say, well, you're not really experiencing it because you're asleep. And I would say, well, if you're experiencing it in your mind, and you're feeling that emotion, and you're feeling those, those sensations, that can be just as real as anything that we're experiencing while we're awake.
0: And it can also be a form of self-exploration where you can try things that you just otherwise couldn't do in the real world. You know, another way to think of it, it's kind of like your own virtual reality experiment. So I definitely do not want less sleep. I want more sleep because I love my dreams. So I have one last question for you, Dylan, and this is the big one. What do our dreams mean, sexually and otherwise? And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm a very vivid dreamer. I have dreams every night. I remember several of them the next morning. And they often stick around with me for a long time. And I love my dreams because they're just delightfully weird. And to give you an example, since it's the oversharing episode... I had this dream a while back that I was hanging out with Martha Stewart at her compound. And I just imagine that, you know, Martha's got this amazing, like, sprawling estate. And so in my dream, she had just been released from prison. You know, we know Martha had some legal trouble a while back. So she's under house arrest at the compound. And I'm basically there in lockdown with her. And it's amazing because we're eating the best food. And she's telling me, like, all the fun things she does with snoop dog but then like we look up to the sky and all of a sudden these star destroyers appear like these ships from the star wars movies and the fucking galactic empire is after us and so darth vader and all these stormtroopers land on the compound and they're chasing us and fortunately like it's a massive compound so we can just like run from room to room and hide and so they never caught us but you know that that's basically the gist of the dream and you know even though this dream happened like quite a while ago every time i think of it like i just laugh because it's just so ridiculously absurd and i know that You know, if Freud were still around, he would look at this dream and. You know, would analyze the shit out of it and say, you know, well, so Martha Stewart represents your maternal figure and Darth Vader is your father or everything that you're afraid of and you're running away. Like, you know, you could come up with some type of story. And if you're a psychoanalyst who's listening to this, please do not analyze my dream and tell me, don't ruin it for me. I love that dream. But I'm just curious, you know, you can come up with a story for any dream to say, this symbolizes this thing in your life, this symbolizes something else. And you know maybe that helps people to make sense of it for them and makes them feel better but i don't know what is your take on dream interpretation and whether or not you think our dreams really have a deeper meaning like freud suggested
1: right right well you're you're definitely not alone there i have had dreams with lightsabers as well i've had dreams where i'm walking through middle middle earth There's all those kinds of fantasy Elements have been in my dreams as well. And those are so much fun. But I think sheer question of what do these things mean? Is there some kind of symbolic meaning, especially? And there's, you know, if you go to any bookstore that has a section on dream interpretation, there'll be all kinds of, you know, If you dream about the lightsaber, it's a penis. And if you dream about the forest, it means that you have unresolved issues with this person or something along those lines. There's no science there. It can be very entertaining to think about the latent content of dreams, but I wouldn't put too much stock into that. It's kind of more like astrology, where it's a fun idea to play around with, but there ultimately is not a consistent meaning across individuals because the meaning of those things in your dreams is specific to your schematic representations of reality. So if you have a positive association with Star Wars and the stormtroopers appear in your dreams, that's probably going to be associated with some kind of positive engagement that you've had with fantasy or sci-fi stories in your life. If somebody associates Star Wars with a uh, negative or unhealthy relationship that they used to have with a former significant other, then that association for them is more negative, And thus, the symbolic representation in the dream is also more negative. So that's why it's so hard to have a dream encyclopedia where it's a one-to-one association. This thing appears in your dream and it means something very specific because those things have different meanings to different people based on personality traits and personal experiences and all those other kinds of things. So that's not to say that dreams don't have meaning. It just means the specific elements that occur in your dreams are going to be very idiosyncratic, And this is where I think dream work can be very useful in the context of therapy, because therapists are trained to help you think through those experiences you've had in your life and the experiences that you've had in your dreams and kind of just make sense of all that stuff so that you can arrive at more clarity about your life and more insight into yourself.
0: Yeah, that that is So amazingly well put (laughs) and such a great way to summarize and synthesize all of that. So, you know, a lightsaber might represent a penis in your dreams or it might not.
1: Sometimes a lightsaber is just a lightsaber.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. To put it in the words of Freud. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Dylan. I, Like I said, it was a dream come true to do an episode about sex dreams and relationship dreams. So can you please tell my listeners where they can go if they want to learn more about your work on dreaming?
1: Absolutely. Well, you can check out my website at DylanSelterman.com and follow me on Twitter at seltermosby, and also check out my blog at Psychology Today.
0: Thanks again so much for your time, Dylan. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of the podcast, you can visit my website, Sex and sexandpsychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, if you want to learn more about the fantasies that cross our minds while we're awake. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.